Welcome to the Uncommon Church Podcast. Today, you'll hear a message from our pastor, Brad Carrington. We hope that it helps you to know God, grow strong in your faith, and do all that he has called you to do. Last week, we were at the beach, and um, I was uh, reading a couple of books, and I was reading a book by uh, a, a preacher called Leif Hetland, and here's the subject, okay? Here, here's, here's Leif's book, right? And then somewhere about three-quarters of the way th- through the book, there is two paragraphs, one page, that I was just like reading, and then I got to that, which kind of had nothing to do with the book, and then I flipped the page, and I'm like, hold up, wait, that... I got I went back and I read it again, and it just melted my face off because Leif took me down a, a trail in my head that I just couldn't get away from. And I, I finished the book, but this thought that I'm going to share with you this morning has been really messing with me. So I want it to mess with you a little bit as well. Um, so I've been thinking about this nonstop. So here's, here's this concept that I need to lay out for you. My parents are getting older. Uh, my father is 86, 87. 87. And uh, you met him a few months ago. He is in an assisted uh, care uh, facility for the elderly up in New York. Uh, my stepmother uh, passed away a few months ago. Um, so I, I'm getting to that age where my, my parents are, are, are getting, getting older. And in, in most of the world, even today, they, they don't have homes for the elderly. They don't have nursing homes or care facilities. The family will take care of their elderly until the elderly pass. And um, assuming that the children are still alive, of course, the children, you know, will share responsibility to care uh, for their aging parents. And um, in most of the world, it's considered a great honor and a privilege to take those few years and, and care for your parents in a way you're, you know, taking a few years of your life to care for your aging parents. And it is an honor to serve them uh, for the 18 years that they poured into you and raised you. And... Um, this is still true today, like especially like in Asia and Africa, but especially, especially in Middle Eastern culture, even today. So then I want you to go back 2,000 years, biblical times. It was definitely an honor for the oldest son to care for his parents until they passed. And like, think about it in, in today's world, if, if you agreed to take care of your, your mom or dad in their old age, and you know, you had a, a one or two bedroom house or apartment, you would, you would upgrade. You would get a, a bigger house, a bigger apartment. You would get an extra bedroom. Um, you know, there would be the cost involved in providing a space for them. You'd probably buy some furniture that would be comfortable for an elderly person, maybe one of those big you know, lazy boys or even the lazy boy that, that stands up and sits down. The older I get, the more amazing that sounds, that a chair would help me sit down. Um, you might have to buy a special bed. As they really get older, you might have to rent a hospital bed to care for them all the way to the end. You know, there... If, if you like spicy food, you'd be eating mild for a while. Um, there's just a greater level of cost and inconvenience to care for people. But if, if we go back 2,000 years and the older son is going to care for his parents, you couldn't just buy a house with a bigger bedroom and add a bedroom on. Like, they, their homes only had one room. Uh, maybe if you were wealthy, you had a two-room house in the ancient world. They didn't have a lot of furniture, you know, most of like the bed was also the couch and it was also the dining room table. Um, and you would just sit on cushions around on the floor. There was no indoor toilet with like handrails for the elderly. You would have to walk that older person out to the outhouse and help them do their business. Like this was a bit of major inconvenience, especially in the ancient world to care for an elderly parent. But remember, especially in the Middle East, no greater honor 
for the oldest son to care for his parents in their old age. You guys remember the story of the crucifixion? Jesus is on the cross. Mary, his mother, is there. And Jesus is about to give his life away for us. Now, Jesus knows that he'll be resurrected from the dead, but he also knows that it's the end of his ministry on earth, and he would be returning to the Father in heaven. The story is found in Luke chapter 19. Um, if you don't have your Bible, uh, then just pull it up on your phone or look at it on the screen behind me. If you're taking notes, write this down, because I, I really want you to see what happens in this story. Jesus is literally hanging on the cross in verse 25. Standing by the cross of Jesus was his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, underline, circle that, standing nearby, he said to his mom, Mary, he said, woman, behold, your son. And then he said to the disciple that he loved, behold, your mother. And from that very hour, that disciple took Mary into his own home as his own mother. The disciple that Jesus loved was John. John loved and trusted Jesus so much that he asked him to adopt Mary, Jesus' mother. And John loved Jesus so much, he made this massive commitment that for the rest of Mary's life, he was going to care for her as his own mother. Jesus had this trust in John with his own mother. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a relationship of love, intimacy, and trust with Jesus so much that if you were standing at the cross, Jesus could look at you and say, would you please care for my mom, Mary, for the rest of her life? And if not, today is going to be an invitation into that level of love, intimacy, and trust with Jesus. You have to do, if you think about it from a historical standpoint, I want you to zoom out a little bit. Why John? Why not Peter? Peter was the oldest disciple. Peter was already married. Peter was a few years more mature than the rest of the guys. Why not Peter? And then you have to zoom out and go, wait, wait, wait. Peter and John are not even family. Why not James? James was Jesus' brother. James was the next oldest son. James was Mary's physical son. James is the apostle, the book of James. James was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Why not James? Why did Jesus ask John to care for Mary and not James? Here's the reason why. At this time, at the crucifixion, there is no evidence that James was a believer that his older brother was the son of the living God. And Jesus didn't want his mother to be taken care of in an unbeliever's home. That's how important it is that even in our home with our children and our, our older family, that our home is a sanctuary of the power and presence of God. Now, if, if, you, if you don't know, James did eventually put his faith in Jesus and he did become the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. So why John? Because over the course of three and a half years of John following Jesus as a disciple, John would develop this relationship 
that Jesus could say, I know this young man, John, I trust him, and he's going to honor my mom, Mary, in the same way that I would. He's going to treat Mary in the same way that I would. So you might also say, why, why John? John cared about the same things that Jesus cared about. If Jesus cared about his mom, then John said, I'm going to care about what Jesus cared about. Ask yourself this question, do you really care what Jesus cares about? Remember, if you read the scriptures, at the beginning of when John became a disciple, he was together with Andrew and was a disciple of John the Baptist. So he already had this hunger for the things of God. And then Jesus came to be baptized by John the Baptist. And the Bible says from that very day, Andrew and John followed Jesus. And they were the first two disciples, Andrew and John. I think I misspoke a minute ago. I'll, I'll, the, the interesting thing is, is that it wasn't just Andrew and John. Andrew went and got his brother Peter. John went and got his brother James. Mark chapter 3, verse 17. James, the son of Zebedee. John, and the brother of James. To whom Jesus gave the name Boangeries, which meant sons of thunder. I love that Jesus was a nickname guy. Like sometimes we picture Jesus as like this holy, divine Messiah, which he is, but he's also a nickname guy. You ever think about that? That he's like a normal guy. Like you ever hear somebody that's super condescending? Like, thanks, bud. Thanks, doc. Thanks, chief. Right? Jesus was a nickname guy. And he saw the zeal, he saw the passion that, that James and John had, and he said, you guys are sons of thunder guys. So you have to imagine when Jesus was loading up the donkey to go on to the next town, and he's like, where's the bag of, you know, tent pegs? He's like, hey, sons of thunder, you guys seen the tent pegs? Jesus was a nickname guy. And he, he called out for, for James and John by using their, their nickname. There's this great story about the sons of thunder. So they're heading from the north to the south. They're going up to Jerusalem to worship for something. We're not quite sure what. And they're passing by a Samaritan village. And they were probably needing a meal and maybe to stop for the night to sleep. And um, Jesus sent a couple of disciples on ahead to the village to see if they would be welcomed into the village. And uh, they weren't. Luke chapter 9 and verse 53. The people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, the sons of thunder, when they saw that, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume those people? But Jesus turned and rebuked the sons of thunder, so they went to a different village. The sons of thunder were so offended on Jesus' behalf that they were like, the best course of action is that we kill all of these people. We're going to call down fire and kill all of these people for not honoring you, Jesus. Lord, we love you so much, we would totally kill for you. Do you want us to kill those guys for you? I mean, maybe don't say it, but just give us the nod and we'll do it. First of all, I've been walking with Jesus for almost 40 years. I don't exactly know how to call fire down from heaven, but the sons of thunder love Jesus so much, they somehow imagined that it was like, sons of thunder, activate, that they could call fire down from heaven and kill people. We're going to totally send them to hell because they didn't honor you, Jesus, right? Isn't that what you want us to do? 
Now, personally, at this time in John's discipleship journey, I don't think this would have been a good person to take care of Mary. So what changed? John changed. John changed. He went from sons of thunder guy to the one that Jesus said, would you take care of my mother for the rest of her life? See, over the year, John grew really close to Jesus. We all know that there were crowds of people that followed Jesus, and then we know that there was 120, and then we know there were 72, and then we know there was 12, and then we know there was three, but we know that the one was John. See, the multitudes were the thousands of people that followed Jesus. They listened to his sermons. I think a lot of them were there because they were fascinated. Maybe they wanted to see a miracle happen. Um, Jesus kept multiplying food. Maybe, I, I bet it tastes really good when the king of the universe multiplies food. Maybe they wanted some heavenly food. I think a lot of people, honestly, if you believe the best, they believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So there's thousands of people following Jesus around, listening to him preach. We know that in the upper room, after Jesus had returned to heaven and he was going to pour out his Holy Spirit, we know there was 120 waiting for the Holy Spirit in the upper room. So it went from multitudes to somehow 120 disciples. We know that in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sent out 72 disciples. He appointed them to go and to, to preach the gospel in the cities that Jesus was going to be heading to. And in fact, it was there that Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. It's the workers that are few. So why, would you pray to send out more workers to Euless and Bedford and Hurst and North Richland Hills? So there was multitudes. There was 120. There was 72. And then, of course, we know the 12 disciples. There was the 12 that Jesus poured his life into for three and a half years, and, and he changed these men. He, he discipled these men, and then these men, or 11 of them, they changed the world because of Jesus' discipleship in their life. And, and then beyond the 12, five different times, there's three. There's Peter, James, and John. There's Peter and the two sons of thunder that were Jesus's inner squad. They were his best friends. They were the ones that Jesus on several occasions took to do more intimate things with. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus takes those three guys, Peter, James, and John, into the home of Jairus, and, and, and his daughter had died, and he took her into the bedroom, and Jesus raised his daughter to life, and Peter, James, and John got to see that. In Matthew chapter 17, he takes Peter, James, and John up to a high mountain. And on that mountain, Jesus peels back his earth suit and he lets his heaven's glory shine through. And Jesus' whole body begins to glow like the sun. And then suddenly, uh, right there in the middle of Jesus glowing like the sun, Moses and Elijah show up and the six of them hang out for a little while. It wasn't the multitudes, it wasn't the 120, it wasn't the 72, it wasn't the 12, it was the three. Peter, James, and John got to see that. In the final hours before the cross, Jesus took the disciples to the, the garden in Gethsemane, Matthew chapter 26. Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. By the way, if you'd like to see the garden of Gethsemane in real life, I'll take you there in November, but you have to sign up for the Israel tour today. He said to the disciples, why don't you guys sit here? I'm going to go over there and pray. And he took with them over there Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder. 
And then he was sorrowful and troubled in prayer. He said, my soul, he's talking to the three. He says, guys, my soul is very sorrowful. Even unto death, remain here and watch with me. There's multitudes, there's 120, there's 72, there's 12, but there is an invitation from Jesus when he needed it most in his darkest hour, when he needed a best friend, that you would come into a relationship with Jesus past the crowds and into his most intimate and personal and difficult moment that Jesus could trust you in that moment. There was a hunger, there was a passion for the presence of Jesus, for the, what, was, what was burning on the hearts of Jesus that he invited them in. And I'll tell you what, the Lord is no respecter of persons. What he respects is our heart's desire. So don't get me wrong. Would it have been amazing to be a part of the multitudes, the thousands of people that packed up on, on you know, donkeys and walking sticks and backpacks and got to follow Jesus and hear him preach and see his miracles? Absolutely. Would it have been amazing to be one of the 120 disciples that committed your life to follow Jesus, that even after Jesus had been crucified, you're willing to gather and wait on the Holy Spirit and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and pray in other tongues with the, with the disciples in the upper room? Sure, that sounds amazing. What about to be one of the 12 who got to camp out and eat with Jesus and sleep and help Jesus for three and a half years in his ministry and his discipleship and then go change the world? Sure. What if you could be one of the three? One of the three that got to see the little girl raised from the dead. One of the three that got to see Jesus transformed in his heavenly glory. One of the three that was invited into the secret place of the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus said, would you guys pray with me? Because I'm going through the most difficult moment of my life. But then beyond the three, Jesus was looking for one. Who can I trust the most? Who can I love the most? Who, who's really the one that is leaning into me, to my presence, to my kingdom, to my heart's desire that I could ask to take care of my own mom. John, Jesus' beloved John. Go back to the Passover meal the day before, John chapter 13. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and he testified. He said, truly, truly, I say to you that one of you disciples is gonna betray me. The disciples were shook and they were like, huh? Who's he talking about? So one of the disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter, he motioned. He said, hey, John, find out which one of us is going to betray him. So in verse 25, the disciple who was leaning up against Jesus said, um, Lord, who is it going to be? And Jesus answered John the beloved and said, it's the one that I give this morsel of bread to after I have dipped it. And he gave that morsel of bread to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. I remember the first time I read this after I was getting serious about my walk with God as a teenager. And it stood out to me that John said that John was the one that Jesus loved. Like that stood out to me like Matthew didn't say that. Mark didn't say that. John said that John is the one that Jesus loved. Only John had a revelation of his identity in Jesus that he is the one that Jesus loved. And I'm telling you right there, it identified what's, what was different about John. John trusted Jesus. John followed Jesus. John was transformed by Jesus. But John loved Jesus so much that he leaned up against him in the most personal and intimate meal. 
And he said, I am the one that Jesus loves. You know that there are almost 8 billion people on planet Earth, but you are the one that Jesus loves. You need to know that. You need to know that. You are the one that Jesus loves. In fact, even if it's cringy, I want you to say it out loud. Say, I am the one that Jesus loves. It's not arrogance, it's your identity. Does the Lord trust you? Does he love you? Do you know that he trusts you and love you? Can Jesus trust you with his secrets? See, did you notice that Jesus drops this bomb on the disciples and everybody's shook and he's like, yeah, one of you is gonna betray me. And they're all like looking around the room. There's only 12 guys in the room or 13 with Jesus. And Peter, who was arguably the leader of the disciples, he was older, he was a loud mouth. And, and Peter looks around and he's like, who would Jesus tell the secret? John. So he's like, hey, psst, John, beloved, leaning up against the king of the universe guy. Get him to spill the tea. Now the Bible isn't clear, but it is my personal opinion that Jesus whispered it to John and only told John it's the one to whom I dipped the morsel and then I gave it to Judas. So John had changed. He went from being the guy that wanted to call fire down and kill a bunch of people to the one that Jesus loved and trusted with his secrets, with his heart, with his mom. That level of relationship and intimacy develops over time. But you have to know that God is no respecter of persons and you are invited into that same level of intimacy. That you personally would be like, I, I wanna know Jesus, that he would trust me, that I would know that I am his beloved, that he would know that, that, that I can be trusted with his own mother. And maybe not even personally, maybe you own a business. Make your business a place that develops intimacy with Jesus. Maybe you've got an office cubicle that you work in every day. Make that place a habitation of the presence of Jesus, where in that place you lean into the presence of Jesus. Maybe you take uh, long rides in traffic to work. You live in Dallas or Fort Worth, and you just love sitting in traffic. So instead of moving closer to work, you just drive for an hour and you sit in traffic. Rather than listening to sports radio or news or podcasts, maybe you could put on some worship music and make your car a place that you abide in the presence of Jesus. Maybe you're an athlete person, you take long walks or long bike rides or long times where you get caught up on audiobooks or you make phone calls to your BFFs. Maybe that could be a time where you develop an intimate relationship with Jesus. Maybe it's not even personal, maybe it's in your home. You've got kids or grandkids, you know, roommates, whatever that looks like. Make your home a place that we abide in the presence of Jesus at the dinner table. And it, when, we're, when we have an hour or two to kill, we're not just going to waste our time on mindless reality television. We're going to host the presence of Jesus. We're going to lean in and listen to his heartbeat. We're going to care about the things that Jesus cares about. We're going to develop that trust with him. One final thought that I had for why Jesus trusted John. John didn't give up on Jesus on the darkest day of his life. John was there at the cross with Mary during the worst moment. Now, obviously, it's the worst moment of Jesus' life, but John loved Jesus so much that he was the one that the night before was leaning up against Jesus during the Passover meal. 
John honestly, truly loved Jesus. John was the one who was there in the Garden of Gethsemane. John was the one who was there when Jesus was transformed on the mountain. John had this real intimate and personal relationship with Jesus. And to see Jesus, his body shred apart by Roman beatings and then hanging, bleeding on a cross, that was the hardest moment of John's life. And when he faced the most difficult thing in his life, the most awful thing he could ever imagine, he was there with his eyes fixed on Jesus. Sometimes when we face the darkest day of our life, we lose a child, we lose a loved one, we lose a marriage, we lose a job, we, 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 we go through difficult seasons in our life. It is easy to give in to the temptation to take your eyes off of Jesus. My counsel to you is on the darkest moments of your life, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and don't run. Hop up on your feet. Don't give up, just keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Because when your eyes are fixed on Jesus, even when you feel like you're facing death, there's always a resurrection coming. Because it was on that day that Jesus looked, I mean, that John looked and he saw Jesus dying on a cross. But don't forget, it was three days later in John chapter 20 when it was John and Peter that ran and saw the empty tomb. So if you will not run when you're tempted to run, if in your darkest moment, if in those difficult seasons, you stay near to Jesus and you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, you will see Jesus' victory and resurrection power come in your life. Just don't give up. Just don't give up. Show yourself faithful to Jesus and he'll always show himself faithful to you. Even in your darkest hour, you're developing trust with Jesus, that he can trust you. He can share with you his inmost secrets. He can share with you the things that he cares about the most. In this case, it was his mother. I'll also say this. John had developed, as he matured in his faith, a zeal. He started off zealous, wanting to kill people. Lord, I will totally kill people for you. But he had that same zeal, even though he matured. It was John that went from wanting to kill people to when John was a very old man and he was on the Isle of Patmos that his friend, his best friend Jesus came and he revealed in a vision what was to come at the end of days and he gave him the book of Revelation. He said, if I can trust you with my mother, because you have to imagine by that time Mary would have passed away by the time John was an old man. He said, if I, if I could trust you to care for Mary well, I can trust you with the revelation of the end of, of the last days. Can Jesus trust you with the things that he cares about most? Can Jesus trust you? Have you developed enough of an intimacy and a, a trust in God and, and a, for what he paid for on the cross? Does that matter to you? Is that important to you? Can Jesus trust you in your heart, in your mind, in your secret place? When nobody can see what you're looking at on your computer, nobody can see what you're smoking or drinking, nobody can see but Jesus. Can he trust you to be holy like he is holy? Maybe you're in a relationship, somebody you're dating and hoping to marry or you're married. Can Jesus trust you in that marriage relationship? Ha have you developed the character, the integrity that time and time again you have chosen the right thing and the Lord Jesus can say, I trust you. Maybe you've got some wealth, you've got a good job, you're, you're making 70, 80, you pass six figures and beyond, and you, you think, I'm doing okay financially. 
can Jesus trust you with wealth? Because I've seen a lot of wealthy people that have proven themselves to be trustworthy financially, and then the Lord gives them more money. But I've seen a lot of people that put their faith and trust in money more than Jesus, and they end up losing it all because they're leaning up against the wrong thing. Are you leaning up against Jesus' heartbeat? Can he trust you to do what he's called you to do? We got a lot of people that like to attend our church, but they won't serve on a dream team. They won't lead a you group. Saved people serve people. Will you do what you've been called to do? See, at some point, Jesus, on that day when he was baptized, called Andrew and John. He said, y'all boys follow me. And John said, I'm gonna do what you've called me to do. Will you do what Jesus has called you to do? Or are you just in this for yourself? Can Jesus trust you in worship? And the answer I can tell you already is this. If you were on time for the Barbie movie on Friday and late for church on Sunday, you don't understand Jesus. You don't understand his character, his beauty, and his nature. But you're invited to. Like some of you are like, why did you step on my toes like that? Because somebody needs to tell you there's more and you're invited to receive it. It's not out of reach. It's just saying yes. Yes, I'm going to worship. Yes, I'm going to show up. Being like Lene, I'm going to come early and stay late when it comes to my relationship with Jesus. You're developing that maturity. You're eating, feasting on the daily bread. You don't have any idea how many Christians are biblically illiterate. Open your Bible and read it. Let it feed you and nourish you and develop you. That's what John did for three and a half years. He went to Jesus University and he grew as a disciple. You are invited to grow as a disciple. It's not gonna make you, but he is inviting you to become spiritually mature and it only comes in the presence of Jesus. He's inviting you to worship him. He's inviting you to lean up against him and hear his heartbeat and he, pick up the, what does Jesus care about? That's what he wants you to care about. Before Jesus went back to heaven, he said, listen guys, I want you to go into all the nations, every tribe, every tongue, every people, and make disciples of all nations, Matthew chapter 28. Can Jesus trust you to say, yes, I'm gonna go and make disciples of all nations? He's put his spirit inside of you to empower you, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, it lives in you. Do something with it. Sometimes we feel like we hear these stories and we're like, I don't know, man, I, I guess John just knew something I didn't know. I, I'm like an outsider. That is a lie. That is how an orphan thinks. You have been adopted into the family of God. Jesus signed your adoption papers in his blood. You are a child of the, the living God. You just have to act like it. You're not rejected. You're invited into his presence. He wants you at his table. He wants you leaning up against him. He wants to trust you. It is his invitation to trust you. Remember, you said it. Jesus loves you so much. You are his beloved. When was the last time you heard Jesus' heartbeat? You leaned in so close in worship. You leaned in so close that you could feel his heartbeat. That's the invitation. Let's pray. Father in heaven, 
I don't always know how to respond myself, and I do this for a living. So it has to be a work of grace and a work of your Holy Spirit that we would respond and say yes, and we want to enter in. We want to be one of the 120 and the 72 and the 12 and the three, but there's also a longing that we would be the one that leans up against you and, and we're in your presence and we don't want to be anywhere else. We're not longing for another thing. You are the thing. With every head bowed and every eye closed, listen, if you're here this morning or you're watching online and you're not right with God, you've allowed sin to separate you from the love and power and presence of Jesus, that is an easy fix because 2,000 years ago, Jesus loved you so much, he took your sin on his back to the cross. But today, you have to repent and ask the Lord to forgive you. You have to say, God, I'm so sorry I've sinned against you. Wash me and cleanse me. Forgive me of my sin. I received the gift of, the, of eternal life, and I'm going to begin my, my discipleship journey. I'm going to begin my, my leaning into your presence and to hear your heartbeat. So if that's you this morning and you need to get right with God, it might be the first time in your life you've ever gone all in and gotten serious about following Jesus. It might be the first time in a long time. Maybe you knew the Lord and you've kind of let your heart grow cold and you've allowed sin back into your life and, and you're like, crud, how did I become like this? How did I let my heart grow so cold when I used to be on fire for God? Well, today is your day to repent of sin, ask God to forgive you and return to hear his heartbeat. So whether it's the first time or the first time in a long time, I'd like to lead you in a prayer. I, I can't pray it for you. It has to come from your heart, but I can lead you. So if you're here this morning, you know what? I'd like to know who I'm praying for and who I'm leading with. If that's you, first time or first time in a long time and you wanna pray this prayer, would you shoot your hand up real high right now and just say, preacher, pray with me. I wanna get right with God. Today's my day to get right with God. I'm gonna pray and repent of my sin. I see your hand over there. Is there anybody else? Shoot your hand up real high and just say, today's my day to get right with God. Good. What about you online? One person raised their hand and said, today's my day to get right with God. Right there, you just watching YouTube in your living room. Man, if there's sin in your life that you need to repent of and get right, just shoot your hand up between you and the Lord and say, today's my day to get right with God. Church family, for the sake of the one and the sake of those on YouTube, why don't we pray this prayer together? If you believe it in your heart, pray this out loud. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I repent. I surrender my life to you. I choose to follow you, to love you, to know you, to lean into your presence. Thank you for adopting me. Thank you that you want me in your presence. Thank you that I am your beloved. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, for the sake of the one, can we shout for joy for all those that just got right with God? Come on, somebody. All right, here's what we're going to do. I'd like our prayer team to come down to the altar. It's always funny. Last Sunday, one person gave their heart to Jesus. It was a beautiful thing. But we got five more people that filled out cards and said, I got right with Jesus today. So last Sunday, six people got right with God. I ain't mad about it, God's not either. So if you're one of those that's like, dude, I prayed that prayer and I really meant it. When we go into a time of worship, I want you to come pray with one of our prayer team. 
I want you to tell these guys and gals, hey, can you pray for me? I didn't raise my hand, I wasn't the one, but I just got right with Jesus. Can you pray with me? And we wanna encourage you in your walk with God. We wanna screw in a light bulb on our Jesus wall. All of those light bulbs are people that got right with God in the last few months. If you're watching online, I want you to text the name Jesus, J-E-S-U-S, to 817-405-2244. Now all that does is send you an auto response text form. Here's my, I'm asking you, please fill that form out and click submit. We want to begin to pray for you and encourage you on your walk with God. We want to put your name on a, on a light bulb on the Jesus wall. We want to see you begin to grow and we want to invite you to growth track starting in August. Thank you for listening to the Uncommon Church Podcast. If this message has impacted your life, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. And for more information on our church community, you can click the link in the description or visit uncommonchurch.tv.